You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another Flip My Funnel episode. And this podcast has been just growing like crazy. And one of the reasons it's growing is because we have people that are doing Tuesday and Thursday takeovers. So today, I'm really excited to introduce Barb uh, Mosher Zink. She is running her own podcast called Content Matters. And it's a really, really good podcast. And she's interviewing some ridiculously good people in content. So if you're in content, you got to listen to this whole series. So Barb, welcome to the Flip My Funnel podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right, Barb, share a little bit about your podcast and the type of people you're interviewing in this series. So the Content Matters podcast is a podcast that looks at all aspects of content from, especially from the marketing side, but also from like technical documentation, like how all of, how it works to support every kind of group across the company. And I have been really, really fortunate to interview some really great, smart experts. Um, Scott Abel, Ann Hanley, Matthew Sweezy, um, Ian Truscott, um, Jim Edmonds, uh, Kem Mayfield, or Matthew, sorry, I said his name wrong. But um, yeah, there's just, there were so many. I've, we've been going for two years now and it's just, it's just been phenomenal. Fantastic, Barb. I cannot wait to hear this episode. So let's just dive right into it. Great. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Content Matters podcast. Um, Today, we are talking to Melanie Diesel. She's a keynote speaker and award-winning branded content creator, and she calls herself a lifelong storyteller on a mission to share the power of compelling, incredible content with others. Melanie is the founder and chief content officer of StoryFuel, which teaches marketers, publishers, creators, and companies of all sizes how to tell better brand stories. And she's also the author of the Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. Melanie and I talked about her background as a journalist and how she found her way into the world of content strategy and content marketing. We also talked about building content teams, telling the right stories in the right way, as well as the need for content for everything from thought leadership through to product marketing, sales enablement, account-based marketing, pretty much everything sales and marketing-wise. Throughout our conversation, her strategies and insights were consistent. It's all about the customer. And her new book is a guide for figuring out the best stories to tell in the best formats once you have that understanding of who your customer or audience is. It was a really great conversation. There were a couple of really key things that I took away personally that I'm going to use in my work as a content marketer. And I know there's some things that you'll be able to take away as well. Here's the conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Your training and your background is as a journalist. And I was just curious, what made you shift from the world of journalism into kind of the world of business doing content strategy? You know, that shift from you know, wanting to be a journalist to ending up on more of the content marketing side of things, it wasn't something that I planned or I don't even know that I necessarily knew I was making a big switch. I think if I'm being totally honest, I was looking for a job. And as many of us do, when that process doesn't pan out exactly how we hope, 
we start making compromises, you know, and uh, I wasn't, I wasn't finding the roles in the area where I, I hoped I would work. You know, I wasn't finding investigative reporting or enterprise reporting jobs. I wasn't finding arts and cultural criticism jobs, which were, you know, those are the two fields that I had studied in journalism. And so, you know, I, I was, I was sort of opening my mind to different possibilities. And it was a, a really savvy recruiter who, you know, reached out and said, you know, this is not exactly what you're looking for. You know, I know the kind of jobs we've tried to place you in before, um, but this is, it's a little bit different, but it uses a lot of the same skills. You know, you'll still be creating content. You'll still be interviewing sources. You'll still be brainstorming different ways to tell stories. And so I think it would make a nice landing spot for you. And at least in the meantime, until we can find something that's, that's more in line with your goals. And uh, for me, I think it was just a, a surprise love that I found for this kind of work once I got into it. You know, I started at Huffington Post. I was on the, the brand storytelling team there doing the sponsored content. And I think I realized that, you know, the only thing that's maybe a little more fun than, than doing journalism and going out and creating that kind of content is helping other people fall in love with that process too. And so that was really what I loved about it is the, the folks at the agencies and the brands that I was working with and even, you know, on my team, getting to share those tricks and tips and best practices that I had learned in the journalism world and figuring out that we could actually benefit a lot by applying some of those things to our sponsored content was really, really exhilarating for me. And I think I've sort of chased that same feeling throughout all the work that I've done, you know, since then. Um, it's kind of interesting to think about how a, a journalist um, can evolve into a content marketing kind of role. Um, what what do you think? What do you think the approach is that they bring to the table? Like someone like you who had that background, that would that differs from a marketer that can really bring something something new and innovative to the process. You know, I think there's there's something about being in journalism that, you know, it, it, it's just a different field, right? Of course it is different, yeah. different study, different uh, drive. You know, one of the things I say often is people very rarely get into journalism for, you know, fame or fortune. It's usually they're driven by some sense of mission that it's, I need to learn more about this thing and share it with others. I need to uncover this truth. I need to, you know, help my community, whatever it is, there's usually some deeper drive there. And so they tend to be very passionate um, you know, really story driven people. And that's, that's kind of a hard instinct to teach. You know, it's, it's certainly possible, you know, we all are taught that as we study journalism, but the kind of person who just loves to, to uncover stories and dig deeper and ask those kinds of questions. Sometimes there's just something in their gut that, you know, they're the kind of person who, who likes to chase those things. And so I think there, there's sort of a new approach that they can bring to the table where, you know, maybe taking a step back from a product focused story or, or taking a step back from a particular campaign to really just ask, you know, who are we as a brand? Who are the people who matter to us? You know, how do we share our values with our audience? What can we teach them? You know, coming back to those, those sort of bigger, hard questions that we often ask in journalism, that sort of instinct uh, is, is really valuable in those brainstorm conversations for, for taking a different approach. And then I think on the tactical side, you know, oftentimes journalists, especially nowadays, we're sort of jack of all trades. You know, we're taking photos, we're writing for the web, we're writing social copy, you know, they, that kind of, um, you know, ability to switch between tasks and, and work on a deadline is also really helpful. So I think there's just, a, there's a lot of overlap in terms of skill. And then there's sort of that special sauce of that, that story instinct that can, can be a real game changer. 
the one that kind of says, I mean, and it's also that, you know, you're not thinking about the, the brand products. Like a lot, a lot of times a marketer, I guess, will come in and they're very, I've got to create a story around the product. I got to think product, product, product. But a journalist sure. doesn't kind of take that perspective. They think more, I, I would think you'd think more broader. And, and, you know, you've got that product in the back of your mind. You kind of have to, you're working for a brand, sure. but, but you don't, you don't necessarily look at it from that perspective. And that changes, I think, the way the stories are told a lot. Right. And I, I think it's, it's almost, you know, one of the things they teach us in, in journalism school is about the importance of putting your audience first. You know, like I said, very few folks get into it for fame or fortune. It's really that you have this drive to, to help the audience, you know, your readers, your listeners. And, you know, what that means is in many cases, when we're considering telling a story, we're asking that question, what does my audience need to know about this? Right. Whereas when we're in, in marketing mode, we're asking, what do I want my audience to know about this? Right. We're sort of putting our, our messaging and our, you know, our key talking points, our features and benefits out to them because that's what we want. So sometimes it's really helpful to just take a step back and say, well, what does the audience need to know about this? And, and you know, sometimes there is overlap between those things we want to share and, and sometimes there isn't. And so that requires two different pieces, one that's more marketing uh, marketing focused and, and really talked about those products and features, uh, you know, the benefits and features, and one that maybe takes a slightly less branded approach to appeal to a consumer with different questions. And oftentimes it's asking that question that leads us to the more mission-driven stories. So, you know, a great example of this is something like Starbucks coffee. You know, there are some people who just want to know, is it dark roast or light roast? What's the acidity level? How many cups of coffee am I going to get out of that pound of beans? And that's really important marketing content. We need that product copy. Absolutely. But there are some other people who are making their purchase based on how sustainable is the particular farm where these beans came from? How well paid are the individuals who are harvesting these beans? How well are they treated? Is this a fair trade certified? Right. And that's sort of a different type of story. You know, it's more about the people behind the product. And so that instinct, that ability to to tell both sides of that, that it's a, a balance that's really important. I, I actually, I think that's great. I, I like that you look at it from both sides and that you can kind of approach it from both angles. Gives it a yeah. m- much more freshness to the marketing strategy. Um, and you should, you know, I think that's one of the, the misconceptions that sometimes people will say, but, you know, we have to create product-focused content. And I agree 100%. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not here to tell you stop telling product-focused stories and only yeah. tell, you know, these more human interest stories. But I think there is a balance, you know, and sometimes when we only create the more marketing focused or sales focused content, we, we come across as a little self-centered to our audience, right? We're only talking about ourselves and our products and our sales. And sometimes it's really helpful to flip that perspective and try to tell stories that are important to them and also happen to serve our goals. So it's a, it's a balance. You want to do a little bit of each. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so the the whole idea of the sponsor content and, and the content team brand content teams that you worked on, I find is really has really evolved a lot. I'm just curious, you kind of you started out building brand content teams for like the New York Times, and you worked with the Huffington Post. And I'm just curious, um, how did you approach building and managing that kind of a program? And is it is it the same approach you would take if you were going to build a content marketing program for a brand? Yeah, 100%. There's so much overlap and and all of that has a lot of overlap to how I would operate a newsroom. And I think that happened partially out of necessity because that was my experience and my background. 
Um, but you know, a, a big part of what we did is we were used to working lean in a newsroom. You know, you very rarely see overstaffed media companies. It's, it's almost always the inverse. And so most of our decisions about staffing and organization and operations are born out of necessity and efficiency. So a lot of the questions we ask early on, and this would be true whether you're in-house at, an, at a brand and setting up a, a content team or at a publisher setting up a, a sponsored content team, your questions you need to ask is, what kind of content do we need to create in this environment? What's going to be natural here? And then what type of skilled people do we need in order to create that content? So at a company like the New York Times, that means we're needed to create, you know, in-depth reported content. That's what our readers expect from us. So, you know, we need to make sure we have at the very least freelancers with that skill set that we can call on for stories. We need to create multimedia content. So that means we need particular individuals who can design digital experiences, who can create video, you know, create and edit video. So, you know, by sort of starting with those needs, what do we need to create? And then figuring out who are those skilled people who can create these things, it gives you a sense of what's necessary. And then usually sort of a, a I call it like a verticalized structure kind of falls into place. And so at an organization like the New York Times, we tended to work with a lot of companies that were in the tech space, that were, um, you know, in the finance space, because they, that appealed to our audience and vice versa. So, you know, we had specialized editors who had experience and could write and create content around finance, around technology, around autos, you know, around fashion, those particular areas that required specialized expertise. And the same thing will emerge if you are working uh, in-house at a, at a brand, you want to make sure if you're a finance organization, it's probably helpful for you to have writers who are not just skilled writers, but skilled writers who have written about finance or have experience in the finance space. So, you know, those specialties kind of come to light as you think about what it is that you need to create as an organization. When you, when you, I mean, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of brands that have tried to do this in-house. Have you ever seen any kind of things that you um, a, a brand might want to be cautious about, you know, not to do things a certain way because it, it's not going to work the way they're expecting. Sure. Yeah. I, th I think there's a, a few different approaches that can sometimes work against you uh, depending on your goals. Uh, one thing that tends to happen often is someone in the organization who has a separate job is given the responsibility of, okay, also build a content team or also run our content operations right. uh, without sort of acknowledgement for the fact that this is a full-time job. This is, you know, someone's responsibility. And if you're not at the point where you're ready to invest in that, then it's going to be very difficult for that person to succeed, not only in their original job, but now in this second responsibility that you've heaped onto them. Uh, so, you know, wait until you're ready to make an investment in the, the people, technology, et cetera, that you need. Uh, otherwise, you're sort of setting someone up to, to disappoint. And that, that's never a good place to be as an individual or as a manager. Uh, the opposite is also something that happens sometimes where someone will say, okay, we are officially a content brand. I have hired this editor. We have three writers. We have this fancy news, you know, content management system. And they just sort of throw a lot of money at the problem without really thinking about why they create content. Uh, or what kind of content to create. So there's sort of a lack of strategy and they just sort of throw bodies at the problem. Um, that can sometimes get in the way too because those folks won't have the kind of direction and clarity they need to execute on a, on a strategy, right? They're just being brought in to create. They're not sure why, you're not sure why. And so you're going to end up uh, creating a lot of things, but maybe not creating a lot of results. Yeah. 
I've seen that happen before. Definitely <laughs> not the way you want to go. So you have a new book, The Content Fuel Framework. Um, I do have it. I haven't read it all, but like <laughs> I um, I actually enjoyed uh, it's one of the first one, one of the few I've kind of started going, yeah, I can really kind of get into this really quick and get some really great ideas out of it. Tell me, tell me what made you, what's what it's about and what made you decide to write it? Yeah, so the book is, uh, yeah, how to, it's the content fuel framework, how to generate unlimited story ideas. And the whole purpose of writing this book is one of the things I heard from, you know, clients that I was working with or like my, my coaching clients and things like that was how do you, they didn't understand how I could do this, how I could come up with these ideas, you know, really quickly, that if you were to give me your particular business or your challenge, that I could generate ideas really rapidly. And to me, I had never realized that that was a superpower. I thought it was just a thing that people did, you know? And so yeah. I, I realized if, if this is something that, that other folks don't have a system for, then that's something that I can share. The first thing I have to do is figure out what is happening inside my head when that's happening. And right. so that's really what the, the content field framework is, is I broke down the system that I use to come up with these ideas in a really rapid way, in a really repeatable way, so that by the time you finish the book, you will have sort of the, the tools in your toolkit you need to do the same, to come up with an idea for any particular product, a particular event, you know, a message or a campaign that you're trying to share you will have sort of a step-by-step -step process that you can go through to, you know, to figure out what's going to be the best way for me to share this story with my audience. And it was just, yeah, it was really driven from this idea that I, I don't like when people say I'm not a creative or, oh, I can't do that. That's not, you know, I'm, I'm not a, an idea person. And I, I just think that that's totally bogus and it's totally a learned skill. Um, but if I wanted to stand behind that and say it, I had to make sure that I was also sharing tools and systems for people to learn that skill. Right. So it has um, it has the different, you know, you have focuses and then you have the type of content you create. Like, How, how does that all mix in with the storytelling process? Like, how do you make that work? Yeah. So, yeah, in the book, we break down every every content piece, no matter if it's something you're consuming or something that you're creating. It has these two elements. It has a focus and that it's about something. It has a perspective or a topic and it has a format. That's the way you bring it to life. So the idea is in the book, we run through 10 or so different focuses that you could use, some that will be familiar and some that might be newer. And then same thing with, with formats. We run through a little more than 10 different formats. Again, some familiar, some not less familiar. And the idea is that when you're in your content creation process, when you're in that strategy phase, trying to decide what is it we're going to do to, to tell the story, to share this message, that you should start with that focus. What are we going to talk about? And then you ask the question, what's the best way to bring that story to life? So it really helps you to, to focus your attention in the right place at the right time to say, okay, first we need to figure out who we are. What is this story? What are we trying to say? And then let's worry about the format with which we bring it to life. Because I think too often we do the opposite. We say like, oh, I need a video or I need to yeah. write an article. And then we sort of force an idea that maybe isn't the best fit. It's not the best combination of focus and format in that particular instance. So it's, it's much more helpful if we start with the focus, you run down that list and see what's going to be a good fit and then ask what's the best format to bring that story to life. Does, does this assume that you've kind of done your audience work ahead of time so that you know the kind of topics or stories that your audience wants to hear? Or do you do that sure. as part of the process? 
Well, this, this process in particular, you know, the, the focus of this book is really just trying to help you come up with those content ideas. But right. yeah, in the, in the beginning of the book, I share that, unfortunately, I can't tell you on an individual basis, you know, why it is that you should create content in particular. I give some different options and some questions you can ask to try to get to the bottom of it. Um, but yeah, you do, you do need to know uh, who, who it is that you are, whether it's a personal brand or, or as an organization. Uh, and you need to have some idea of who you're talking to. Uh, but once you have some clarity on those things, these prompts will, will help you come up with it. And I think one of the things that is helpful is if you're still figuring some of that out, it can still be a useful exercise uh, to, to use the content field framework to generate some ideas because it will, if on some level you have instinct about what will or will not appeal to them, that can help you sort of narrow it down and maybe better articulate what it is that your audience is interested in because you'll have examples of it. Right. Is there ever kind of a concern that you kind of pick a topic and you would run through this, this framework, which I do love by the way, because it helps you generate so many different ideas. Is there ever a concern that you're overusing the topic or over doing too many ideas around that topic? I, I think it's possible, you know, in the, in the book we talk about, obviously if you have 10 focuses and 10 uh, formats, there's a possibility of 100 combinations right. that you can yeah. make with those things. Yeah. But obviously our goal is not to create, you know, not always a hundred pieces of content <laughs> about the same thing. Uh, that would be a lot for you and for your audience uh, and your web team would probably not be too happy with you, right? Um, but the idea is that we should look at all those different options and then select the best from among them, right? So we might come up with 15 ideas for a particular product or sale or event or whatever the case may be. Uh, and maybe we want to create two or three of those because we can see how they connect to our, our bigger plans, our strategy. Um, maybe we save some for next year. Maybe we repurpose some of them for a different event or product or, or campaign. So yeah, the, the goal is not necessarily to, to view this as a checklist that you have to complete all of them because that would be, it would just be a lot of time and effort, I'm sure. Um, but to really help you see the many options you have so that we're not in a situation where we've only got one idea and we don't like it, but we need something to go live tomorrow. And so we're going to make it happen. You know, we don't want people to be in that, back into a creative corner in that way. Right. Do you, um, do you differentiate the type of content you would create for thought leadership slash, you know, brand awareness, you know, content you build for an audience, content marketing? Um, can you still use this type of framework if you're developing content for account-based marketing programs or sales enablement programs that are built yeah. more around prospects and customers? Yeah, absolutely. The, the really good thing about this framework is because it's platform agnostic, um, you know, we're not saying create a tweet or create a Facebook post or create an email. You know, we're really talking about the the core elements of what is the message about. This is something that can be used by your blog team, the team running your, you know, your YouTube channel, your sales team for their email communications. Uh, yeah, it, it can really be used in all these different contexts. Uh, again, just to think, well, what is my audience? And, and that may differ from team to team, but what does my audience need to know about this? And what are the different ways I could help them understand that topic? You know, one of the most common uses that we see is bringing together the content uh, or communications team and the sales team to do this process together so that they're able to generate, well, these are not only ideas that appeal to our audience, but they serve our sales enablement goals. Um, you know, they, they serve our sales goals. And so we're able to, to find opportunities to reduce efforts so that we're not creating two separate things, but 
creating one single blog post that happens to answer these common questions or objections or myths, for example. So, you know, that when you bring some of those different themes together to use a process like this one, uh, it can really help just kind of close some of those gaps and find ways that you can create single content pieces or experiences that serve the different goals. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea when you say it that way. Um, from So from your kind of work and your experience, do you, do you think that content marketing is evolving, is changing? Like I've kind of heard people saying it's not the same as it used to be and, and we have to start thinking about it differently. Like how do you, how do you look at it? I think that any form of communication, whether it's content marketing, public relations, sales, advertising, I mean, we're, it's all evolving, right? We're, we're faced with new tools all the time. We're faced with new digital challenges with regards to measurement or distribution. You know, there's new regulations or, or technological limitations that force us to adapt the way we, we create and deliver our content. So I think we're, I think we're always evolving, at least in some ways, right? And I think the, the wonderful thing about it is we're always learning. And so some of the things that were common practice, you know, four, five, 10 years ago are, are laughable now because we know that that doesn't work quite that way. But we didn't know at the time. Uh, my favorite example of this is when I was, when I was at, uh, at, at Huffington Post, we got this insight that headlines that use the word actually would traffic better. They would get more clicks. They would get more readers. So if you had two headlines, you know, 10 recipes you should try this weekend versus 10 recipes you should actually try this weekend. The one that says actually would get so much more traffic, right? So we went through a brief period of time where our team on the brand side and our editorial team, right? So, so all of us there, including our email team with their subject lines, we were shoving the word actually anywhere we could put it because that was sort of a little tactic to try to get more traffic. Now, we know now that that kind of thing gets overplayed and turns into clickbait and people don't really react to it anymore. So we wouldn't take that kind of approach now. Um, but at the time we were using the data we had to make the decisions we thought we needed to make. And so I think in little ways like that, little tactical ways, we're always learning and evolving. I mean, I think we've seen broader trends um, away from single format. So away from like just a blog post or just an article and toward more multimedia formats. So maybe you have images or a video with your article now. Uh, that's, that's much more common than just sort of something written by itself. So, you know, we see these broader trends toward, toward multimedia. <clears throat> we also see trends toward like longer campaign programs. So rather than just doing a one-off blog post here or there, people are thinking a little bit more long-term, a little bit more strategically for the long haul and not trying to get results immediately and, and then sort of flame out. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing some, some trends and some evolution. And I think, I, I hope we continue to see that because in my mind, that means we're continuing to learn. Yeah. Do you think there's um, a content strategy play around building content experiences? Like, like the examples are, you know, the, the overflip examples where in bright talk and on 24, I think they all kind of have different, different views of it, but where you have, you don't just send you don't just send someone to one piece of content. You create a content experience, which is multiple types of content. Is there really um, there's really a content strategy you need to build around that experience, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and this is where again, I think when you get different teams in the room together, you can sometimes have amazing epiphanies that you couldn't have planned out. Sometimes it's really helpful to have someone from your product team 
in the room for these brainstorms as well, because again, they can share really great insights about you know what, what's happening on the product side. But what's really great about a product person is that they're going to think about the user flow, right? They're going to think about the user experience and the user interface, whatever their, their language is, depending on your product. And sometimes that can trigger you to create something very similar on the content side. So the idea being, maybe it's not in our nature as a content creator to think what comes after this one single piece of content we create. That product person might say, well, where are they coming from and where are they going next? And the next time they arrive, what are they going to get? So again, those different perspectives brought into the same content conversation can really help you think in different ways. And I think, yes, when you're creating those content experiences, you do want to think about the sequence. You want to think about the depth of engagement and whether that matters. You know, if we show someone content piece B and they don't spend any time with it, do they just continue on the same trajectory or do we do something else to help re-engage them if B didn't work so well? Maybe we send them to B.5, you know, <laughs> instead, yeah. of, instead of right along to C because they need a little bit of extra love, right? So, you know, those kind of conversations can, can be really valuable and again, also very helpful for coming up with, with content ideas because as you start to plan that user flow, you'll see the gaps, you know, what's missing? What don't we have that needs to be a part of this journey? Yeah, that's great. I like that thinking. I love that idea of having the product person in thinking that way. I've never really looked at that, but, but, it, and it's just, I'm just so happy that content marketing is not no longer just kind of a side prod project or a side team that, that focuses just on brand awareness, but they're now, they seem to be brought in more, more to the full kind of, customer lifecycle flow of the company they have a bigger role to play at every stage of the journey Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. i think it's it's important that uh you know you keep your content folks in the loop because you know everything that we do as an organization or, or most things that we do as an organization we want to message to our audience in some way you know we want to build keep building that relationship keep giving them new information new opportunities to engage with us and so the more that those people know what you're up to, even if you're on a different team, product sales, something else, the easier it is for them to help you share that message with your audience. And the easier you make it, the more likely you are to have, you know, shared goals and, and shared results across those different teams. Well, Melanie, this has been a really great conversation. I, uh, I learned a couple new things from you that uh, as, as a content marketer myself, I'm definitely going to put into play right away. I really appreciate <laughs> your taking the time to talk to us. Well, thanks for letting me come share my story. And um, yes, thank you. So where can people buy your book? So my book is available through Barnes & Noble online or Amazon. Uh, I have some signed copies available as well. If that's interesting for you, you can learn more about that on my website at storyfuel.co. And at storyfuel.co, you'll also find all the other links for things you may be curious about. You could learn more about me. You could connect with us on social media. Uh, you can learn about our masterminds, coaching, consulting, uh, you know, workshops, all that fun stuff. So that's storyfuel.co. Great. All right. Great. Thanks very much, Melanie. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.